0: I remember when I was interviewing for a major defense company. And, you know, during the interview, they had said, hey, well, what do you want to be? You know, because I was probably like 10 years in. And I said, well, I want to be the vice president of engineering. And she laughed. And she laughed. And that was a moment where I said, in my mind, I am never going to allow anyone to make me feel any type of way because they don't see me in the role they think I should be in.
1: Welcome to the Be On Purpose podcast, where science meets spirituality and innovation partners with intention. I'm your host, Lynn Gravatt, aerospace engineer turned spiritual guide and quantum coach, bringing you inspiring stories and practical insights from the world of aerospace to AI. Each episode, we dive into the journeys of visionary thinkers and STEM leaders who are transforming their fields. So whether you're a tech enthusiast, a business innovator, or someone simply seeking to elevate your career with purpose and passion, join us as we explore the fascinating intersection where technology harmonizes with human potential. Let's embark on this journey of discovery and growth together, right here on Be On Purpose. Uche Maple provides strategic partnership with engineering leaders within the aerospace and defense industry by providing strategic leadership development programs. With her unique approach of utilizing strength-based solutions, she excels in consulting organizations and coaching leaders and teams to foster heightened engagement and effectiveness. Uchianye's experience is rooted in over two decades of experience in the aerospace industry. Her role involves steering product development from its conceptual stages through to operational implementation, showcasing her as a leader adept at transforming challenges into successful outcomes. As an author, Uchianye has made significant contributions to the literary world with her book, Bitter Not Better, and as co-author of Resilient, A Key to Being Brilliant. These works encapsulate her insight and philosophies on overcoming adversity and achieving success. Uchianye's academic background is diverse as her professional career. She holds a BS in Mechanical Engineering from Prairie View A&M University, an MBA from the University of Phoenix, and an M.S. in Systems Engineering from John Hopkins University.
2: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Be On Purpose podcast. And today I am so excited about my guest, Uche Maple. We're just going to dive right in like we always do. Uche, who are you and what do you do?
0: Thank you, Lynn, for allowing me to be on here. I definitely appreciate this. And I'm glad that we're finally able to sync up and hook up and have this amazing conversation. So as Lynn has mentioned, my name is um, Uche Maple. My full name is Uche Anye Maple. And um, I am a 22-year career veteran. Not in essence, but, you know, that I've had experience in this. Um, where I have been in the aerospace and defense sector for the last 22 years. Um, got my undergrad degree in mechanical engineering. Worked in several different um, programs. Opportunities have had the opportunity to lead, train, um, impact concept from concept development to manufacturing um, in terms of the engineering space, and recently retired at the age of forty-four. My claim to fame, um, and started my consulting um, consulting firm. And one of the and one of the things we focus on is providing strategic thought leadership training to the professional workforce to ensure that. We are creating the next generation of leaders so that we, they can be more creative, more innovative, and more thinking about what's ahead and what's next while leading um, team members to have an engaged workforce. And I'm just really excited to be here. And um, let's go. Let's go.
2: Well, I, we have to talk a little bit more about your pathway into this Retirement 44. Hello, I'm 45. So <laughs> a little jealous. Um, But your experience, I'm like scrolling LinkedIn right now. You have worked for a lot of companies, John Hopkins, University Applied Physics, Rockwell Collins, so, so much. Tell us a little bit about that journey, like starting maybe like what, how, what got you into engineering and the evolution of your career and how, how and why You retired young and went in and started your own thing, Inspiring Leaders.
0: Yes. So, you know, I often tell this story all the time and I love telling it um, because if you when you go to school to be an engineer, it is not for the faint, faint of heart. Let me tell you that. okay? it is a very rigorous program. And being a female, you might be the only female in there, um, depending on where you are. And, you know, you have to learn how to work with people so you can get in study groups. But I tell this story when I was younger my father passed away at the age, he passed away in 85 and I was eight years old. We had just came back from Lagos, Nigeria. We came back to the United States. Um, And my mom found herself as a widower with five kids and pregnant with her sixth child. And as a result of that, if you can imagine, you know, everything was pretty much like in a panic state. I need this now. I need this. And one of the biggest things that um, that included was reliable transportation. And my mom, because you know her, because she was a widower, her primary focus was food and shelter, right? Transportation it was needed. It was required, but I just can't put that much energy in it right now, right? So she would get these vehicles and they were just like lemon vehicles. They wouldn't work for a long period of time. And, and as a child, I just got really frustrated with um, garage shops really taking advantage of her. So I remember I made this decision. I said, listen, I'm going to fix her car. I want to I learn how to fix her car so that she doesn't ever get it taken advantage of and she never has to spend another dime. And my counselor who had the foresight to see um, to really see how well I was doing in school. Cause I love math and science. She was like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, an engineer. And she was like, well, what kind? And I said, well, I want to learn how to fix cars. And she said, well, think about mechanical. And she said, and go to this HBCU because she was a graduate historically black college university. And I applied and, you know, I was there for five years. I was in the program for five years and as a result of that, my biggest, the reason why, because you get so many opportunities to quit. One, you may not get along with the professors. Two, you're not getting the grades that you think you should be getting. Three, you just don't feel like you're 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 smart enough. But in the midst of those five years while I was getting that, my number one focus was I don't want my mom to ever have to worry about someone taking advantage of her with her transportation. And I will be her go-to source. So because of that, that's why I became an engineer, was trying to fix a pressing need in my family during that time as a child. Now, when I did graduate, what was funny was I had an opportunity between two companies, one in Flint, Michigan, and one in Tucson, Arizona. And I chose the one in Tucson, Arizona, which was like the defense company and not the one in the automobile industry, right? So. But I will say this because I did that, and because when you get an engineering degree, you really get a pretty decent salary. I went from wanting to help fix my mom's car to being able to buy her one, and that's I I I, that was like for me one of the best things for me that I was able to give to her. So you know, just starting out as a mechanical engineer working on a production floor, and you know, you get to see how or where you want your career to be. I felt like I thrived on the floor on the production floor because I'm great with people. I love learning. It's all about collaboration, how to fix something. You know, how does this work? Want to learn how to do this. And just over time, um I just, you know, started asking questions. And then I just went to different levels of engineering. And then ultimately I said my goal is to be a program manager of a missile on the production floor. And let me say this, no one's path is ever the same in how they move in their career. Your career, as one of my mentors told me, is like shoots and ladders. You're gonna be up, and then you might have to go back five paces to get propelled to the next level. And that's really how my career has been. One of the, the biggest things I tell um, females who go into engineering, especially in the corporate sector, is confidence. You have to have confidence. I remember when I was interviewing for a major defense company and you know, during the interview, they had said, hey, well, what do you wanna be? You know, Cause I was probably like 10 years in. And I said, well, I wanna be the vice president of engineering. And she laughed and she laughed. And that was a moment where I said, in my mind, I am never going to allow anyone to make me feel any type of way because they don't see me in the role they think I should be in. And that was a lesson for me to continue to fight, to continue to strive and continue to move forward. Now, looking back 20 years from now, I was very fortunate, like in the middle ground, around that 10 year mark, statistically speaking, um, Society of Women Engineers did a, a research study. Typically speaking, it's, it, the, the retention rate goes down about 35% around that 10-year t- uh, mark where women usually eat, in the, um, they don't stay in the engineering, they might go into another area. I refuse to be a statistic because I loved the field. And around that 10-year mark, I just happened to get with a great company, john hopkins applied physics lab and i got around some great mentors i got around some great leaders who saw me for me and the work i can do and really from there it just took everything to the next level and you know even then you know i left that company because there was another career opportunity i left and went to as you mentioned um collins aerospace which was a phenomenal um opportunity and I tell people when you it's certain roles that you have that you something you learn in three years takes someone else 10 years to learn and that's how I felt in the role that I had and then I felt like you know what John Hopkins like hey you want to come back and I was like yeah came back to Maryland because that's where we wanted to make sure our kids we finished raising our kids there we want them to graduate from high school there and I was able to retire from there and um and, le- and you know, when I'm saying this, it's like, oh, that sounds great. But it was not without any hardships. But the main thing is you need to make sure you have yourself a community. You need to make sure you believe in yourself. And you need to make sure you get in organizations that will give you information, prof- uh, professional development, personal development, so that you can stay the course. But keep your eye on the prize. How is that, mean?
2: That was amazing. I actually went to school at the University of Maryland. I just want to throw that out there. Oh, you that, we did? Have that, little that was where I went to grad school. Um, oh. so that, that's an amazing story and so inspiring and everything you said, you know, especially about women not giving up, especially when a female leader laughed at you. It's like, you know, I think that's what we're trying to do here in this new world is where what the masculine culture has done to us is pit us against each other. It's like we're always competing for whatever scraps of bread are available for females. And I definitely feel in this new paradigm that's being birthed as we are understanding the power of lifting each other up and working together. So I see you as a, as a leader in that. And so with that, with your extensive background in this engineering and leadership, what motivated you to trans transition into the... I'm gonna start that question over and we can edit. <laughs> I, all of these end up way too long anyway, like I chit chat too much, so okay. With your extensive background in aerospace and engineering leadership, what motivated you to transition into this role as a leadership and professional development
0: consultant? so uh one main reason is i've seen horrible leaders um and you know one of the one of the, the greatest issue is that um, people who hire people leaders especially in the engineering field they hire them based on technical competence and not on people competence so as a result of that you are now you know reporting to someone who doesn't understand how to engage who is not comfortable talking who you know they everything is just based on statistics and stats and they're not trying to figure out well what's happening here why are you doing this um and so i felt like and and because we were losing so many underrepresented, underserved and just really hearing stories of women like me on why they left companies or why they got out of engineering this was a great deficit, and I wanted to come in and to help that, because here's why. In the midst of whenever we have a pandemic, whenever we have an outbreak, whenever there's something, there's usually a certain demographics that get hit the hardest, right? And as a result of that, there may not be a lot of people from their culture background to support and help with that area. So I was like, listen, this, we cannot continue to do this. We need to make sure that we are retaining women in STEM. Period, because they are very innovative. They're the ones that can solve the problems for women because they're they're invested in it because it's for them, right? So I wanted to be a person that is contributing back by providing by providing the necessary traits, the necessary leadership development so that we can begin to cultivate that skill set that is needed so that so that whenever something comes up again, and it will, we have a plethora of people who are now acting on our behalf to ensure that they're finding solutions that would affect not only our gender, that would help not only our culture, but really, really, really be able to look at it from a unbiased perspective. That's why I'm really passionate about it, Lynn.
2: Yeah, I agree that in the past, our whole capitalist culture has been focused much more on the external strategies and the do, do, do. And that's why, you know, I never actually watched the show Mad Men, but that whole idea of like that person at the top, like rah, 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 and just being tolerated, like really toxic work environments being tolerated as the norm. And, you know, partly thanks to millennials and Gen G's, I, Gen Z's, I think looks like they're not going to tolerate it anymore. Like leadership is a quality that especially young people are demanding or they're not even going to enter the workforce.
0: So I well, really
2: value what you said there.
0: So that's so if you so when I got into the workplace, so I'm a Gen Z or right, a Gen X. And um, one of the things that they said when we came in, right, because every generation, they have something that they're saying is about them. But one of the things was that we valued, number one thing, was family first. Because our fa- parents were not there, right? Um, you know, they call us the latchkey kids. I remember my mom was like, yo, y'all got this. You be fine. Um, you know, the neighborhood, everyone took care of everyone. But I remember going into the workplace and they was like, you guys, families shouldn't be first. It should be work first. And that paradigm shift for us was not acceptable. And I remember them going like, you guys are just changing the culture around here. But what I loved about it was we said, no, we're going to put family first. We're if we need to work part time, we'll do that. But, you know, when we and we're the ones, if you think about it, that's bridging from um, the baby boomers to the millennials in terms of technology and how to engage. Right. Because if you if you have and, and let me just and I'm and I'm This is not a real scenario when we have millennials because millennials not the oldest is what 42, 43. So they they are older. You got the oldest one. I think the youngest ones is what 31, maybe. Maybe something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So they are all they've been they've been here in the workforce for like 10 years, going on 20 years. So they're very aware of that. But one of the biggest things that they didn't know how to talk to baby boomers. Baby boomers, you know, they're like, no excuses, you're gonna do this, (laughs) regardless. (laughs) And the millennials are like, that's not. I mean, why? So my point being is that um, the Gen Z, really, from from a perspective of putting family first, really had to take a lot of those hits just to soften the blow when we when we were not going to turn our phones on when we on vacation because mm-hmm. the people that we worked for left their phones on all the time. They never took a chance, you know. So I just love the fact that this next generation is enforcing even more that, hey, we get it. We'll get the work done, but we're not just going to keep working more and you're not paying us anything. And to me, that's the biggest thing that I love that's happening now is you can't expect me to continue to work overtime and I not get paid more. That's, That's the biggest thing that I'm loving right now.
2: Yeah, I just feel like they're waking up. Like we were all we were kind of like bamboozled a little bit. I'm at the very I definitely consider myself Gen X, but at the very, very end, I think Mm -hmm. I mentioned I'm 45. So I was Mm -hmm. born in 78. But I, you know, the 80s were an amazing time to be growing up. There was no technology except for cable TV had just started, but we didn't really have it. You know, I didn't have a cell phone until college, we played night games, the sandbox, hours in the sandbox. And I feel like, because this Gen Z and some of the millennials, they didn't have that experience. They were thrown in front of the TV. They were thrown in front of, you know, baby Einstein is coming to mind, which was a good thing. We were all excited about it, but it's still like not hands on. And so now it, I think it traumatized them in a way. And they're now coming into their twenties and thirties. And they're like, wait, I never got to develop myself. Like I was just thrown in front of the tv or thrown my ipad or whatever and so they're kind of demanding making self-care first because they might not have families yet so family is themselves so amazing all right so let's move into kind of the the overarching theme of this particular podcast is this bridging the gap between science and spirituality and for me spirituality is a very broad term that can encompass a person's religious beliefs but also just higher states of consciousness, just access to higher information, access to something that feels bigger, grander, greater than us. So with that, and especially, you know, it sounds like you had quite a lot going on in your childhood. So I'm very curious to see how spirituality played a role in your growing up and then what role it plays in your life now.
0: Yeah. So my mom um, and her mom are very spiritual. They went to church, grew up Baptist <clears throat> and then um and you know pentecostal as well and now i think uh, my mom is non denominational so for me you know in terms of growing up if you know if we weren't at home we were at church so we was at church a lot of times sunday morning <laughs> sunday night wednesday night revival choir rehearsal so we was all of that um and to be honest with you i believe that you know in terms of just um for my kids and my family, my siblings and I, that was a very strong foundation that mom actually set for us. Because we knew that if, you know, we couldn't depend on mom, cause she's one person. So we had to trust our base on something greater and more purposeful in our lives. And that was like the foundation um, for us to understand that, you know, that, you know, God is the creator, we believe, we understand, and that, you know, we don't do this. We can't, this is not of our own will. This is on God's on God's will. And mom set that foundation for us, even till today. Like, if you want to ever, if you ever get in a confrontation, and my mom does this because she's just, the older you get, I guess you just don't care anymore. So yeah. one of the biggest ways where if someone, you know, like something simple where she would go to a, a fast food restaurant and she loves hot chocolate. And if they don't put the whipped cream on there, it's like all oh, heck is breaking loose. So she'll go in there, like, you know, you know, and they're like, they are arguing with her. And she's like, well, God bless you. And that like eliminates the argument immediately. And, and it goes from there. And I was like, man, that really works. So uh, so from that standpoint, she's she's still heavily and devoted and goes to church all the time. Now, I will say this. When I was um when I first started my first job, where my faith came into play was it was just a lot, especially you know, I moved from Texas to Arizona. So I was literally by myself. I didn't have any family there. The family that I got were the people who also were coming from college. So that was our my adopted family. But I remember probably, you know, a year, maybe two years in, I was having a pivotal moment with my faith. And I remember calling my mom and keep in mind, you know, my mom still had five kids at home. So yeah, cause it's seven of us, four kids at home. So it's seven of us. Um, so I'm calling her every time something happened, she said, look, Uche, it is time to develop your relationship with God. You have to lean on him and you can't lean on me anymore. Mm. And that was the moment that I had to grow up. I feel like spiritually and one, you know, and I was like, you know, you did your job. It's 23 years in, I guess it's time. And that was my journey really to start finding, um, what this thing meant from an adult standpoint and not from a child's standpoint. So my, 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 for me, my spirituality, um, is really, I spend every morning, I get up, I have my prayer routine. Um, and I take moments again, when I say to what, what is it that I need to do? I surrender and mm-hmm. I pray and I really meditate on the word because I want to make sure that for me, especially in this time in my life, that I am being obedient. It's a lot of times when I've been doing things I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it. And it hasn't gotten me very far, right? In in anything, whatever it is. And just now, really probably for the last 10 years, I've really made it a point to do that. Now, let me be clear. It's like a sine wave because you're in it and then you go down (laughs) and you're in it again and then you go down. But in this point in my life, in this phase of my life, it is imperative that I develop a relationship so strong that I don't need silence to just be able to hear the downloads or to hear what is being being called to me. And that's that's where I am now is that I don't move on my will. I move on the will that I feel like I'm being led to. Does that make sense? That That totally makes
2: sense. That's how I live my life as well. I'm just curious, do you, are you a church goer at all at this mm-hmm. point in your life? Or are you, so you do both the, the internal work and then the,
0: I don't know what I that have to do. Yeah, I do yeah. both because, um, I'm, I'm a believer that, you know, the enemy loves isolation because that's how you start listening to your own thoughts and you think you, you know, and then you're like, oh my gosh, you start seeing yourself in a different way. And you're trying to understand where all this information manifested. So I like going to church because of the fellowship, because of the energy. So I do both. I believe my whole family, we do both. We do both.
2: Well, that was what I wanted to touch on about the earlier in your story was the, you know, you had a lot of trauma, obviously, with your mom having all those kids and losing your dad. And that sense of community is key. And that's what I want to make a point to all the listeners, whatever your faith is, this spiritual journey is, it is about a a deeper in connection with a higher power. um, So that when you can be alone and not lonely, but the idea of having a community is so key. And so, you know, and I just want to give voice to all the listeners that, you know, you're using the words God and associating with a key. And that's very standard and wonderful. And I want to give everyone permission because I've, I've eaten Easter, I've had Easter brunch with um, nuns in a monastery before, you know, and I ask questions. I'm like, how do you deal, because I'm also trying to, I want to, to love the patriarchy. I never want to be like smash the patriarchy, but there's something in me that like felt as, as, as I evolved through my spiritual journey, there was a time where I barely used the word God. I would use source, universe, creator, but the word God was so pigeonhole to this like judgmental guy up in the sky with a big white beard. I'm sure that's not how you view him in your case. Um, But I just want to give permission because I know this conversation with I that I'm having with you. And I know that your perception of God is much broader. But for some of these listeners, this word God and God associated with a he, it can be a little triggering. And so that's what I want to remind people of that you don't get caught up on the word the pronoun, it's about the community and the connection that you feel when you are with the people that share the faith that you have. And so, you know, so, now yeah. and then, that's what it's all about.
0: And let me and, say, know, this, I was so, so, um, and when you, when this is very true, um, I was, I did do that, um, the universe. Well, there's no right or wrong. I don't want you to have to change. No, no, what I'm saying is I went through that. Oh, okay, yeah. I did. I went through all of that. I was searching as well, like, um, because it did feel pigeonhole to me then, right? But in terms of, and I think this is just where everyone evolves into, into whatever it is you want to be, just the evolution of who you are. Because Mm -hmm. it felt weird, the universe, night weird. It felt normal to say the universe, but the universe is so huge. It's amazing. But I love that you, you went and did that caveat because you're right. It is, at the end of the day, it's whatever you want to call it. People call it aliens, whatever it is, right? But what I do know is that there is this source that is the creator that created me. And because I'm a believer, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the word of God um, that's in here. For me, that language is God and he. So thank you for just even allowing me to say this on your platform and giving even people that are listening the opportunity to know that this is not a pigeonhole, but this is whatever you want it to be for you. And it's about community at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, and that's why we need to be having these conversations, because I'm using God more often. I just try to avoid the pronoun whenever possible. (laughs) I'm like, just because I can't. I just can't, you know? Like, I just can't. (laughs) But yeah, it is about the community, and it is about a connection to something greater, that up the ultimate is just love. That's it. And so it doesn't really matter. God does not care what we're calling he, she, it, they. Do you know what I mean? At the end of the day, this force is so much greater than anything that we can perceive. So I love that we can have this conversation because my hope is that people of all faiths are listening. But the reality is, I just saw, a, it was like a meme or something, but 33% of the planet identifies as Christian on some level. So it's like, we have to be speaking this language to kind of relate and then open the door for all of us to... Just understand that we don't want to get caught up in the words. We want to tap into the essence of the person that we're connecting with. And that's going to allow us to go a lot deeper. So for me, the spirituality, the all of this kind of comes down to values. And so, you know, I've developed these PCs, which is my play on the personal computer tech thing. And I think some really important things we need to talk about are this power, passion, and purpose. Creativity, compassion and consciousness and how all of these mix in to our professional life, because obviously you probably don't have these types of conversations at work. Nobody does really. Or if they do, they're kind of like on the DL. But we can be talking about compassion. We can be talking about purpose. We can be talking about consciousness. These are kind of more neutral words. So let me ask you, let's start with compassion. How do you foster a culture of compassion with these technical teams, especially in the high-stress environment that a lot of your clients are facing in aerospace, defense, engineering type industries?
0: I listen. Mm. It's it's nothing, um, it's not this elusive, um, um, esocentric secret. I listen Um, because right, I mean, you know, people before the pandemic, people were going through a lot, but I think we had just, um, because of the way that we've just been taught, we, you know, just sort of hit it, I guess, like, you know, leave your personal business at the door when you step into work. Okay. And as a person who was marching to that orders, I was guilty of that. Let me, let me say that. Um, and I think afterwards, just with everything happening now, that what a leader looks like is very different at the at the mid-level, um, manager level. Because that's really where a lot of, that's where people get hit. That first line management is really that first line of defense for the leaders above, right? But because they're the ones that's having the day-to-day interaction with people. And I, it for me, because I knew that I would get the greatest performance The greatest engagement when working with teams was to simply listen. Don't judge. Just listen to what's happening and to help and work with them to formulate a solution. Because sometimes they just need to vent and that's it.
2: Mm -hmm. I think that's true for all coaches and people that think they have answers or that are called to lead or called to guide. It's like we have to really leave our ego at the door and what we know at the door and what we want to teach and what we want to show and listen to what they need. So that that's a, com- a beautiful answer. Um, let's talk about creativity because I met you on LinkedIn and creativity and innovation are like all over LinkedIn as like a high value thing. And this is perfect for me because in addition to the whole guide type spiritual guide. I'm, you know, a performer. I'm in in historic cultures, in more traditional cultures, the role of like the visionary, the shaman and the, the entertainer were kind of all one. And I definitely feel that that's the role I'm playing. So I fire spin and I, you know, I'm definitely a creative source. And so I love that I can bring that on there. So how can you share an example of how creativity has played a role and maybe some of the clients that you've worked with? You want to tell us a story about a client that you worked with where any of these buzzwords, right? Creative, compassion, consciousness, but creativity. How does that enhance the type of coaching that you do?
0: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, in terms of when I am coaching and or when I'm consulting and consulting. or coaching with clients, um, what I like to do is in order to get the creative juices flowing um, in terms of what they're looking for, is we do like this role play. And um where I like to say, hey, pretend that you're talking to, to your next version of yourself, right? What does that look like? And um, and I'll and and they'll be that next version themselves, and I will be interviewing them. And based on the questions that I'm asking, it forces them to to reach or to think at a higher level of consciousness than where they currently are, because mm. oftentimes, right, um, there's a saying: if there's no um, if there is no inner critic within, the inner, the outer critic outside can do us no harm. And because we are getting so many thoughts a day when we're doing something, we actually stifle our own creativity. So that's what I do: is I do a role play and then you know, based on these questions is forcing them to think differently in a way they haven't thought before. And my goal is in that moment is for them to get an immediate transformation, immediate win. And the biggest, you know, one of the number one things they say is, Uche, this is difficult, where transformation hurts. Mm -hmm. Right? And once we understand that, then you can embrace it. So that's that is one way in terms of trying to get the creative and innovative juices flowing is to Q&A with their next level self 10 to 20 years from now to break that mode. That's
2: an amazing exercise. And I love that you use that word. So for me, I use the word embodiment. You're inviting them to embody this higher version of themselves for just a moment. And you know the body as a cellular structure It has it can't know what it doesn't know. So we have to practice being that future self. And it's like that I I love you use download. I use that word all the time. It's like this higher self downloads, and it comes in the body, but it can't stay long because it's so not right yet, right? We haven't done the work. And so we keep calling it in calling it in. And before you know it, this higher version is very comfortable in our skin. And so it is that transition of becoming fully embodied to this higher self Mm -hmm. is a journey um, that takes practice. And so that is a wonderful exercise. And anybody out there listening, you can do that at any time. You know, of course, if you have a person sitting in front of you interviewing, it's a lot easier. But you can sit down and journal. And I don't know if you're tapping into this, I don't know if you're aware of this type of world, but you're talking about manifestation. And like, Being who you want to be, believing what will be before it is. And that is the hardest part because we're so wired to react to what we see in the world. And so it is hard work to constantly pull ourselves out of our reality and put ourselves in the reality we want. So I'm so glad you said that because I really truly believe it is the key. So everyone listening, I hope you do that exercise, even if it's just free writing. Say hey. 20 years from now, let's write about how great our life is. And then you're going to look back on what you wrote every day until 20 years from now, you're that person.
0: You know, it's amazing. Well, you know, um, so I'm a firm believer in manifestation, um, being able to manifest what you want to be. In 2012, 2013, in our home, we have wrote down everyone, all the kids and myself, We wrote down what it is we want to be, da, 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 right? So for me, it was (coughs) PhD, author, have my own business. And, you know, my kids wrote theirs and then wrote theirs. And when I retired from corporate, I remembered that. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's two out of three. You're an author, you have your own business, and now the PhD. So it's, in, in other words, um words are powerful, the tongue is powerful, and being able to manifest that as well is powerful. So, you know, sometimes people are like, well, if I write it down, I forget about it. But you don't know how your mind is processing this. Because you know how when you're writing down, you want to do something, then all of a sudden, you start meeting people who can help you with that goal. You're like, wait a minute. Because now you are actively seeing how you can make that goal become real. Okay,
2: I digress. This yeah, was... no, it first came the word, right? And I, my journal practice has always been lacking. And I think it's part of the reason why some of my dreams have not fully manifested because I think about them. But the idea is taking a thought, traveling it through your heart, down your arm, into the pen and writing it. You're literally making it real. You're putting it from idea into the physical world. And I always try when I do journal that kind of stuff, I try to write in cursive because it's a continuous stream of my consciousness. So, yes, yes journaling yes. is really, really powerful. And I've been doing it. I kind of kicked it up a little bit in 2024, end of 2023. And I'm every day writing down a little something. Wow. So, All right, let's talk about the vision of conscious technology. So we're talking about consciousness and life. And, you know, the inner work. And, of course, the reason we do all that is so that it goes into the outside world. And especially the re- another major reason I started this co- podcast is because as much as I love technology, I do see it as a driving force in the majority of the problems on the planet, whether it's like the social media aspect and the mental illness, we you know, weapon, everything is kind of like, Space and technology. So my whole point is, when we work on the inside, it reflects the outside. So if, as the tech community, if we start raising our consciousness, we can transform the planet in the best ways. You know, it it, it worries me that the creators of AI openly admit they're terrified of what their technology is going to do. You know what I mean? Like that's not a good way to go into the creative. So, with that. From your experience, what emerging technologies do you think will significantly impact the leadership and personal development sector of engineering and STEM in general?
0: Oh, well, I mean, of course, AI and automation. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's. And and where do you
2: see it going? Like, are you afraid of it? Or like, or, or, you know, let's put on our future self where it all works really well. Like, what is your dream? What is your vision for AI in the future?
0: So, I'll put it this way: I don't, I haven't really, to be honest with you, thought that far ahead in terms of what I would want it to be and to look like. So, we've always used AI in the engineering world, right? You, there's no way if it's in automation, we've had to do this in order to get like a large set of data sets to do predictability analysis. So, we've been doing this. It's just that with that tool um, that's come to the market now, consumers are now utilizing it at a rate that, you know, you know, people are using it, using it, you know, now when it first started, it was it's nothing like it is now, period at all, right? So um, what I do wanna say is that for leaders in terms of just this new innovation path is that we have to be able to break away from the noise. That's that's how I look at it. It's, it's great to have it, it'll make your job, um, It should make your job a little bit easier, especially when you're writing a lot of reports and getting a lot of information. But from the human connection standpoint, from the people engagement standpoint, you're going to have to turn it off. period. Because you still have to connect with the people who have to be, who who needs a higher level performance. You still have to be able to meet your metrics. You still have to be able to meet your goals from a working environment standpoint. And people are not technology. Let's be clear. Right. They're not technology. They still need you to be present in that space, to be conscious in that space. So they don't feel like they're talking to a robot, that they're talking to a computer, but they're talking to a human being. And that's so for me, that's the differential in terms of A.I., all of that stuff. We've been using it. Yes, it's going to make life easier. Yes, people are always afraid with new technology, but people are always afraid with everything new. Anything that's new, we're always afraid of it when it first comes out. But from a leadership standpoint, um, remaining steadfast on the human component is absolutely essential.
2: It is essential. We have to look at this technology as a tool. And, you know, you don't carry your tools around all day. Sometimes you put them away. And you had mentioned, I think, in our little pre-talk about, you know, turning off the cell phone sometimes. And I think, you know, this thing has become an an extension for so many people. Um, I like to think I have a good relationship with mine. But there's some people that just, like, literally never put them down. And then that, on top of the whole COVID thing, like sometimes people can't even like look people in the eye anymore. People don't have conversations. It's like the whole world is like super socially awkward. And so as we're building these technologies, we need to remember that we need to be building ourselves too and building these people skills. Because I mean, this is what people need to understand. The technology is evolving to make some jobs obsolete so that we can actually enjoy life. So they can be with friends, so that we can be, I mean, it's all about time. It's about buying yeah. back our time. The technology does not need to take anything from us. It can just enhance our world. I mean, I see, I got big dreams for the whole world. And, you know, the smallest one is where a 30-hour work week is normal. You know, and like that's my smallest dream where we, we need to not develop more technology so that we can get more done. We actually need to do more technology maybe so we get the same amount done and then we also enjoy our lives more, you know, because that's what we were created for. We were created to live in joy. We were created to enjoy our lives. We were not created to feed the machine and work, 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 work. And I feel like-
0: When we're talking about um, how AI is taking over jobs, the one way I look at it is that um, we have a new technology, which means new skill sets. So if you are a content creator or if you're doing something where AI um, has been taken over, the way I look at it is now you need to be the person who knows how to run that AI tool that took over something that you were doing. And that's that's evolution and the resistance, right? We, there internally there is a resistance to change whenever the world changes. But we now have an opportunity to learn new skills a new way that now you get paid more money with a new skill set from something you were doing before. So we just have, in my opinion, change how we look at how things are changing and say, okay, since this is changing here, then I need to be the one to learn how to run this tool, troubleshoot this tool, test this tool so that I'm now in the position to impact, to change, right? Because we know that AI, the biggest thing right now with AI AI is that it's created by human beings and that there's biases being written into that, right? So just being the person that's now looking at it from a, instead of being the, the user, be the creator of the tool. That's, and that's how I, you know, I wanna, I want people to just, you know, look at how this is happening it sucks that this is happening, right? However, there's also an opportunity in terms of what is happening as well with technology.
2: I, I 100% agree, anyone who is, you know, afraid of their losing their job to AI, learn the AI. And this is evolution. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of painters or artists who, you know, they're the ones that feel like they're really gonna be affected. And it's like, well, when we went from charcoal to drawing with charcoal to having paints, the charcoal artists weren't like, oh, my God, the painters are going to take all of our jobs. And, you know, they learned how to paint, <laughs> put paint. Yeah, so yeah, but you know that what? Idea.
0: in terms of art, yes, people can generate, you know, they're doing the generation of the AI images. They're doing all of that. But there is nothing as beautiful as a person painting art. And no tool can never take that away.
2: No, I mean, real art has a vibration and a frequency to it. You know what I mean? Like there's some really famous paintings that I look at and they don't necessarily impress me. And I don't think they're necessarily famous because they're good. They're, I mean, they are on some level, but they're famous because whatever that artist put into it is giving off a of frequency. I mean, I really do believe that paintings, arts, and in Buddhists, like mandalas and stuff, this I have a mandala behind me, that they give off like a frequency. You know, the idea of sacred geometry goes back to Pythagoras. I don't know, a lot of people don't know that he was actually a mystic and lived in temples and studied with the Egyptians before he kind of emerged as a a mainstream mathematician. So art and technology for me are very, very integrated. Um, All right, well, Let's see, we got one more question here, a little time left. What is the advice you would offer aspiring engineers and leaders to navigate this evolving landscape of technology and leadership effectively? And I know you talked about specifically AI. Anything else, any other nuggets of wisdom coming up that you would like our listeners to know?
0: Yes. So um, one of the biggest things that they're talking about that has come out recently um the aerospace and defense, they just published uh, 2023 insight that they're still having difficulty in terms of really just making sure they have the right people in the right, you know, the workforce, right? So baby boomers are retiring. They need new, they need um to develop new skills, um, to keep just, you know, like even water supply, making sure that I, you know, the um the water that we're drinking is safe. Just a lot of those type of things are now, you know, it is becoming a burden. It is becoming an issue. One of the things I tell people that if you are at the crossroads, so number one, let me do this for leaders. We often, people, we often get forgotten that we need personal time off. And I mean, really personal time off. Um, because now you're, that what is being required of a people leader is more than it is before, they're now having to coach people that work for them. They're probably now having to be either therapists or counselors um, as well. So your the role that they have now is more because people require more. So don't forget to take time for yourself unselfishly. Be selfish be selfish when you're doing that so that you can be a greater leader for the people who are looking for you which is why which is one of the, my main reasons why I started noteworthy consultant because I know how it was for me I was going crazy and there was nothing there for me it was for everyone else so mm-hmm. um so those are some of the things that we do in addition to the leadership training we embed that type of stuff in there now for just the um just workforce development um, people who are working in technology and engineering, continue to learn and upgrade your skills. Especially with how things are changing so much, what you may be the person who designs where, you know, like if they're doing some type of testing for any particular test and it's been done being done the same way for the last five years, you may find a new way on how to modernize it where it's more effective, it gives better results and you can do more data test sets. So you're coming in and you are adding value and impact all the time because you're adding a new skill set. Don't be afraid. I don't care what age you are. Don't be afraid to learn the new, the new technology, the new skills on how you can make not just your job, but whoever you work for, create a better product from the for the world. And do, so those are those are my two advices for leaders, and for people who are in the workforce.
2: Sage wisdom, my dear. And I did want to touch on one other thing with the AI that you said, and I had forgotten about it, so I might even end up editing this back in earlier. But the whole thing about the bias is so important, that women, people of color, need to be getting into this work so that we can eradicate some of this bias and my own personal example so I use AI prop primarily for marketing and I love mid-journey I'm having so much fun making images different images in mid-journey and one of my programs is called the goddess embodiment method so I'm looking for creating images of a goddess or whatever and I could not get it to give me any and I don't look typical right you know I mean like I don't look like a typical goddess or whatever. And everyone it gave me was a super thin white woman with blonde hair and big boobs. I had to like do so much tweaking. Like I had to stay overweight to make her look normal. I had to stress over and over like to get her to wear pants. Like you don't have to always wear a long flowing white gown. And so I don't know how it all works, but there is definitely bias in this work. And like I said, I'm not technically savvy enough to understand how it all comes together. And so those of you that are listening, especially women and people of color, get in on this because one, there's going to be a lot of money. I mean, you'll, these skills are going to be so needed, you're just going to skyrocket. And then on a really deep level, you're going to be making the world a more equitable place to exist because we're all using this technology. And so Let's make sure everybody's in on it and then also benefiting it, benefiting from it. So amazing. This has been such an enlightening conversation. I enjoyed our time together so much. Tell us, how can people get a hold of you if they want to work with you? Do you have any workshops or anything coming up you want to tell people about? We'll make sure everything you say gets in
0: the show notes. But where can people contact you and work more with you? Absolutely. So the best place to get um, in contact with me is on LinkedIn at U-C-H-E-O-N-Y-E-M-A-P-L-E. I'm the only one in there, Uche Anye Maple. So you'll be able to find me and you can send me a DM. Um, what we have planned really starts in the um, month of March where um, I'll be hosting many um, mini workshops, many mini learning lunches um, with women who are in the industry of engineering um, or if they transferred out of that. And also, too, you can find me on YouTube. Um, Same thing, you can find my name at Uche Anye Maple. And what you're going to find is a YouTube channel called Women Who Lead. And our mission there is to help um, with the mission to make sure to help women who are in leadership, entrepreneurship, and purpose-driven lives to get their message out there, to know that they're not alone. This is a community and that we're here to support you any way that we can.
1: Thank you to Uchianye for those powerful words and for sharing her powerful story. We continued to talk for another 10 minutes and I never did a formal closing to this podcast. So I felt like ending with a call for support is a perfect way to conclude if you are listening to this and you're looking for support in your life you have two people in front of you right now standing there ready and so if it's spiritual support some inner shifts in your energy field and in your mental wellness you're looking for you can find my information in the show notes and if you are seeking career coaching around engineering especially in the aerospace sector contact Ucheanye Maple because she is your girl and again check out the workshop she has coming up in March many blessings